the future. So cool, right? All of those amazing new innovations that are going to make life even better. Like, okay, wouldn't it be great if your car could change color to match your mood? Oh, wait, no, to match your outfit. Ooh, I think I would like that. Buick is thinking about the future every day. A future built around you with super smart Buick EVs that can make your life even better. And soothing spa-like interiors that can leave you feeling relaxed and refreshed. Wait, is that eucalyptus? Oh, believe me, the future smells incredible. And it's all out there waiting. So let's go to the future together. Wanna go? Join us at buick.com slash future. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back. I hope you had a great Pride Month. Uh, we had to do things a bit differently again this year. And I decided that this was the year I would try and make a Pride cake. Now, I'm not sure it was a huge success, but it sort of worked. Sort of. I was quite impressed. Anyway, I was also surprised by how little time it can actually take to finish up a seven layer sponge cake and two kilos of buttercream. Who knew? But thanks to those of you who uh, joined in to watch that absolute mess on Instagram. Myself and Joanne McNally are doing some online gigs together and we're doing some for Australia this week, but we will be doing some more. So keep an eye on Instagram. If you like this show, make sure that you subscribe wherever you downloaded this and you won't miss an episode. If you want to give back, you can leave a five star review on iTunes as that helps other people find us. But better still, you can subscribe to Headstuff Plus. Just go to headstuffpodcast.com forward slash register. And in return for just five euro a month, you will get access to bonus content for Fascinated and all of the other shows shows on the Headstuff Network. I will be posting bonus content for every episode, including this one, and there will also be special bonus episodes just for subscribers. Hello everyone and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Character actor is a supporting actor who specialises in playing unusual, interesting or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performances are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons and they often disappear into each role. So you might know the faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you keep subscribed for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, cinephiles. Bye-bye. Hello, you are very welcome to another episode of Fascinated. My guest today is Rod Thomas, a.k.a. Bright Light, Bright Light. All, all in the name of being somebody. One, two, three, four. What? It is rare that you get to capture the moment that you hear about something that you end up loving. But I first heard of Rod when I was interviewing Shelley Poole from Alicia's Attic fan club. Do you remember a guy called Rod Thomas in our fan club? He was always in the front row of every gig. He was like, he did remixes of all our songs and sent them in. He was like, always the fan that I really remember. He's in the band. Bright Light, Bright Light. Have you heard of them? No. Look, how amazing. What a good guy. When he was young, he was the biggest Alicia's fan. And Oh, wow. I know, he's amazing. 
Like he's a, such a cool guy. He used to do like really strange mixes of our songs and we were like, oh, yeah. We wow. loved it. Yeah. And you did. I did. <laughs> and now I he's... love what he does now. It's... That's brilliant. I know, isn't it, though? He's really done well. He's done... I'm really pleased for him. When he was on old Graham Norton the other night, we were like, go on, boy, that's great. Good on though, <laughs> yeah. right? It's really hard work to do that all by himself. At the time of that interview, Rod had just appeared on the Graham Norton show to perform his new song, All In The Name. And singing his backing vocals was none other than Elton John. But this moment was the culmination of a lot of hard work. Because unlike a lot of artists who end up in that position, Rod did it all himself. He is an independent artist with a solid, loyal fan base, and he sells more physical copies of his music than a lot of established artists. Rod Thomas grew up next to a coal mine in Wales and began his musical career performing music acoustically. As a kid, he had learned to play piano, guitar and saxophone. In 2009, he released an EP of acoustic songs called Until Something Fits. But it was the following year on a trip to LA to work with the producer Boom Bip that Rod began to develop the synth sound that has become synonymous with his music. He adopted the stage name Bright Light, Bright Light after the scene in Gremlins where Billy takes a photo of Gizmo and he is frightened by the flash. No, no. What happened? He hates bright lights. He then released his debut single, Love Part 2. The Bright Light, Bright Light journey had begun. He followed with Disco Moment and Feel It and in 2012 released his debut album, Make Me Believe in Hope. The album was shortlisted for the Welch Music Prize and Rod went on tour with the Scissor Sisters. His follow-up album, Life Is Easy, was released two years later and to promote it, he went on a world tour with Elton John. By 2016, Bright Light, Bright Light was an established and well-respected independent artist. The litany of guest stars on his records and the kudos from other artists was impossible to ignore. His third album, Choreography, was very well received when it debuted on the independent album Breakers Chart at number one and the US Billboard Dance Electronic Album Chart at number 12. The first single from the record, All In The Name, featured Elton John, The Scissor Sisters and Alan Cumming and was unveiled on The Graham Norton Show. Work on his fourth album was briefly interrupted to go on tour opening for Cher. His fourth album, Fun City, was released in early 2020, featuring another litany of guest stars, this time including Sam Sparrow and Andy Bell. A tour was planned and then shelved with the arrival of the COVID pandemic. As well as music, Rod is also a passionate LGBTQ activist. He recorded the track, This Was My House, a song about how queer spaces have been under attack. Also featured on the track were Donna DeLore and Nikki Harris, Madonna's former backing singers. He also composed the music for the BBC4 series, Queers. Last November, he recorded a duet, Saying Goodbye is Exhausting, with Justin Vivian Bond to raise money and awareness for Trans Awareness Week and World AIDS Day 2020. It will probably be a while before we get a new album from Bright Light, Bright Light, as he is still supposed to be on tour with Fun City. But, well, 
Things have really changed in the past year for everyone. But for an independent artist, there is no question that it has been especially difficult. Rod has just released So Gay, So Dramatic, a double album compilation of all of his non-album tracks since 2010 and is available to be bought on his website, brightlightx2.com. This is the very fabulous Bright Light, Bright Light. Well, hello, for a start. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Before we get into the career, we, like, I feel like every interview at the moment has to start with, <laughs> how's your pandemic? Uh, oh, it's a very rhetorical question, isn't it? Um, yeah. I know. I'm fine. I mean, everything is fine. I'm very lucky compared to a lot of people, you know, in many different ways. Um, it's just so weird that things are so flat at the moment, you know, a lot of artists get a lot of self-worth and a lot of self-identity from being able to perform or travel or tour or do something, you know, that they've spent their whole lives crafting their work around. And at the moment, I have none of that. So it's a very odd situation to be in where you don't really have that weekly, monthly, even like daily pick-me-up that doing something that you uh, think that you're very good at gives you. So yeah, things things are strange at the moment, but you know, all in all, I could it could be a lot worse. I actually first heard you in the bizarrest way, the the very first time somebody ever mentioned it to me, and I'm such a fan. I do have to say that at the start, I absolutely love your music. I was interviewing Shelley Poole from Alicia's Attic in 2016, mm-hmm. and she was talking about like Alicia's Attic fans, and. Then she almost exploded on the other side of the table because she said that she had seen you on Graham Norton the previous Friday. And she was glowing in a way that was just like, she was, it was like, it sounds too reductive to say proud mother, but she was just like, (laughs) yes, she was just so excited for you. And she didn't, she never mentioned the like small fact that Elton John (laughs) was on the other side of the stage. It was all about this great song, this great guy. Um, and I, I looked you up after that, uh, and I've been a fan ever since. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I'm such a big Alicia's Attic fan. I really love, I love what they did. You know, like the, the time that they emerged in pop music was so fun. Yeah. I like having them alongside like Alanis Morissette and Dubstar and Björk and like Gina G all in the same kind of like mix was a really magical time in music, I think. It was so fun. You can hear it in your music. It's really hard to describe the, the way I feel about your music because I always feel like it's, brilliant music written from the point of view of a fan like you can hear the like there's a loving craft to the way some of your songs come out like the one that always stands out for me is the symmetry of two Mm -hmm. hearts because i always feel that that song it's almost like this and i don't know whether it is this is purely me putting words in your mouth (laughs) but it always feels like it's this homage to like the humanly or or it's something they would have wanted to do or it's just it's everything about that song is just so it's so perfect like so you obviously were a massive fan of that time yeah i'm a huge fan of the 80s and 90s pop pop artists pop explosions pop culture i suppose like everything from you know like queen erasure pet shop boys um banana rama um black box ace of bass you know that kind of thing George Michael's solo stuff as well obviously so um that song was actually written based on a scene in mannequin uh, where Kim Cattrall is dancing through the shop mall with Andrew McCarthy. Um, so I wanted to make it sound like it came from an 80s movie, and uh, I guess I succeeded. 
<laughs> you absolutely did. It's so it's so great. Um, and do you, when you, you know, come up with an idea for an album, because I mean, you're very prolific. Which, yeah, I guess so. you know, if if you're a bright light, if you haven't heard of you, if you've heard one song now and you and you love it, like if you're going to go to get the back catalogue, you've 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 a job ahead yeah. of you because you've done a lot of stuff. There's a lot. I mean, there's only there's four studio albums, which in ten years is not that much, I don't think, but. There've been songs um, in the midst of that, and like EPs and stuff. So it, yeah, it does feel fairly prolific, I guess. But it's it's weird. It's like trying to navigate this weird musical industry world where you have to be visible quite often. Yeah. Um, and you know, kind of like doing stuff. It thinking back to the eighties though, people would put out an album a year, you know, or an album every year and a half which yeah. is way more prolific than I am. So I guess I sort of exist in an 80s um, volume, but just not with like an album a year, but there's usually like a song or something like that that comes out. So it's weird. It's very difficult to f- sort of ride that line between putting out too much stuff and not enough. And the industry wants you to put out more, but then it also doesn't support what you put out. I don't know. It's just, it's a mess. <laughs> When you were a music fan, it was such a different industry to what it is now mm. with the advent of digital and, and streaming. Does that sometimes grate on you? Um, it's it's hard to really get across to people more than digest yourself because like I've never really earned that much because I've never been signed. I've never had a big advance. I don't have I've never had that big promotion machine around me. You know, it's not like it's not like I personally know the difference between like having all of that money and this. Um, but I will say like the advent of streaming and the the priority of streaming over sales is really difficult, um, especially if you're an independent artist, because like, you know, I have a fan base that actually buy physically and I do really well physically. Um, and I was like the 21st biggest selling album in the UK when my album came out last year so like way more I think I sold like that's amazing double what Fleet Foxes sold or whatever in their first week but then when you count it into bring the streaming in it was like number 145 or something like that and the industry doesn't care about the fact that I actually sold incredibly well as a person with zero marketing budget in the first week so it's really disappointing to sort of feel like the the fan base that you build and the loyalty that you build is meaningless to people in the music industry because now they're focused on streaming and basically stuff that puts money into labels pockets but not into the artist's pocket um it's okay. it's hard to describe it's like oh, i don't know i f- i do feel for the songwriters and the Actually, no, I feel more for the artists that don't write their music even because at least the songwriters do still get residual royalties from streaming and from live performances. But if you're an artist that doesn't write their own material and you're relying on the mechanical royalties like from sales or streams or whatever, you really earn nothing, I would imagine. Wow. Yeah. Jesus, it's so grim. It is so grim. Uh, That's the more I find out about the music industry, purely from the point of view of a fan is it always seems like such a bleak industry. Even even in the 90s heyday, I've interviewed so many people who, there's one or two where you feel like, God, that really ruined your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I think a lot of people signed really bad deals in the 90s because it was just something that you did and you signed a deal and people promised you 
a great career or like a fun world or like they were going to make this the biggest single of the summer or whatever. And, you know, a lot of people were signed into contracts they couldn't get out of and they were shelved and basically signed to a, a, a contract that meant they couldn't do anything else for, you know, until they were like mid mid forties, yeah. which to have like the peak of your youth cut off from any creative output is horrendous. I can't even imagine that you'd lose your mind. Uh, you just released Fun City, mm-hmm. uh, which was such a, it was such a brilliant album. I was still in choreography heaven mm-hmm. <laughs> when Fun City came out, but it's only in the past few weeks now I've really gotten into the the, the new album. Like as you said, there you, you said you were you've never been signed. Mm-hmm. For somebody who has never been signed, you have <laughs> the collaborations that you've had are just out of this mm-hmm. world. Yeah, they're, <laughs> you know, they're I mean, wild. people like like Elton John shown up a number of times yep. what is that like it's really crazy it's really you know as somebody that grew up as a avid music collector buying cd one cd two with a cassette you know watching the chart show watching top of the pops to have worked with so many of the people that inspired me growing up is really just like something i never thought could ever happen and it's really amazing and every day i'm kind of amazed by the things that i've been privileged enough to do and like going on tour with like Cher and Elton and basically any anybody that I've ever bought a record of, I've worked with. What is really difficult, and this is going to sound so ungrateful, is that nobody in the music industry cares about the fact that I've achieved that independently. And like, just as like a, to anybody that listens to the podcast, like this is what a lot of artists go through is that the industry still doesn't think you're worth anything. And it's really hard to to enjoy all of these like wild things you've achieved when somebody else is like, like literally somebody just said, but what's your story to me? Somebody from the industry. I'm like, what, what do you mean? What's my story? Like I'm the only living person in the world that has gone on tour with all of those people. And you're asking me, what's the story? And you're like, well, I guess there isn't one. Apparently, you know, it's just, it's difficult to, to, to live in those two realities where on the one hand, like literally nobody that I meet can understand that I've done those things, but in the industry, literally no one gives a fuck. (laughs) It's just, it's mad. It's really mad. It's really mad. It is also, and it's not that you went in and did their thing. That's what I think is the most interesting. The first time I heard uh, All in the Mm. Name, uh, apart from the the performance, the first time I heard the recorded version of that, I didn't notice Elton. Mm. Because this, this, it's very much your thing Mm. that he comes in on. So it's not like you're doing a featured spot on somebody's, somebody Mm. famous's record. It's like they're coming in on your thing and they're doing your thing. Yeah. Which is so impressive. And it must have been, it must have been incredible to be that person on the Graham Norton show with Elton just in the background. Uh, I've never yeah. seen I've never seen Elton in the background ever. I know, it was really <laughs> insane. It's like it's so crazy because I'm still the only unsigned person that's ever performed on that show in its history. What was really crazy was like being there. It's it's very overwhelming. Let me just tell you like I was on that sofa with Elton, Jodie Foster, Russell Crowe, Tom Daly, Ryan Gosling and Greg Davis. And I was by wow. far the least established person on that sofa. And it's as much as you think you can keep your cool and be, you know, yourself, you really cannot 
like so many of those people have created things that I'm so such a fan of. It was very, very overwhelming. And, you know, you have that audience who are obviously there and like they know every single person on the couch apart from me. And it's te- yeah, it's yeah. terrifying. It's really, really terrifying. I had an amazing time, but it was very scary being on that couch. And I I knew Graham beforehand as well. You know, we he played me on a show and we chatted, and uh, it was just it's so um, it's <laughs> such a hard thing to describe what it's like doing that. But it was wild to think like Elton was my guest. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so brilliant. And. So what was it like when you found out that that collaboration was going to happen? Because I'm always interested in those. Because sometimes I think that if you're in in entertainment, like your life, you're seen for when you get a yes, but the majority of your life you're spent is getting no's. You know, Mm. I mean, that's like as a comedian and and as a like a writer, the majority of time that you spend is on things that won't go or things that it won't be that draft. It'll be the next Mm -hmm. draft. Um. So I'm always interested when people get the yes, mm. what that was like for them. Because sometimes it can be quite deflating where people say, yeah, that is going to go. And you're like, oh, mm. I suppose it's worth Like the moment Madonna had when she won the Grammy for Ray of Light, where she just said, well, I guess it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was, you know, it was amazing. It was, I'd recorded with him previously though. So for the album before I did, I Wish We Were Leaving, that was the crazy moment of, mild terror I think of going to record with him I sent him the song and he really loved it and um, my mix engineer at the time fell through and so I was in my apartment in New York trying to finish like a radio ready mix of this song to take to him for him to sing on and I'd never mixed no I had done one song before but like I'd never really I wasn't confident in my mixing skills a production fine but you usually get it like sent to somebody whose like speciality is mixing and they get the mix ready to go to radio or whatever and so taking that song to him in the studio was terrifying and his mix engineer was like oh this mix is great who did this and I was like oh my god that's wild um but it felt great and you know getting his finished vocals was amazing like being in the studio with him recording that in Atlanta was just like I just couldn't believe it was happening wow. it was so so like oh god I don't know I can't really describe it like absolutely wild and then going on tour with him for a year after that so then when it came to record the choreography tracks you know we were really good friends and it was more just like going into the studio with him and just having fun I he was meant to do one song with me and I was, we finished really early and he's like oh what, is there anything else and I went well actually there's these two other songs um <laughs> if you want to do backing vocals on them and he just went yeah sure why not <laughs> so he did that's <laughs> that's incredible that is incredible yeah. I can't imagine there was anyone else that collaborated with Elton John where he was like do you want any more back and forth? Yeah, he's or, like, well, we've got we've got two more hours, so do you want to do them? And we still finished early. <laughs> yeah. It was it was really cool. Um, yeah, what a wild moment. It's brilliant, and the stuff is so good. The stuff that came out of it's so good. That's the that's the best. I'm bit. really proud of it. So, like three of the songs that, from choreography with him on are three of my favorite that I've ever done. You know, it was just so like symmetry of two hearts is really one of my favorite songs i've ever written and i'm so thrilled to just have That's him brilliant, yeah. there in the background and you know it's just it's a camp song and to have him on makes it like t- camp squared you know it's hilarious ultra camp <laughs> yeah it's amazing and um, so after after was it after choreography that you then went on tour with Cher? 
Yeah, that well after that was only last between the two. That was only twenty nineteen. Choreography was out in twenty sixteen. That must have been such a wild ride to be going around Europe with Cher. It was fucking wild. I got the call from my agent, and I said, you know, we I didn't want to tour for a year. I wanted to finish Fun City, um, and I wanted to be able to be in the country and just get it all sorted. And also, you know depressing it costs an awful lot of money to go on tour so I was trying to save money as well um and then Phyllis rang and she was like uh we've had an offer for a tour and I was like oh god I told you Phyllis like I don't want to go anywhere you know who is it and she was like it's Cher and I was like what (laughs) like (laughs) like I didn't pitch for it and we were asked to go which was crazy and obviously Cher is one of my favorite artists you know like of course she is um and so did it and did it did a show in a very different way there was no live band it was me backing track and two dancers just to test it out because that's actually how I wanted to do the fun city tour which I never got to do was instead of with a live band use queer dancers um to have more so that everybody involved in the show was LGBTQ um and so I took you know, Josh, who was in some of my videos and Frank, who'd been in one of my videos before and went around Europe with Cher just being like really, really gay on stage. And it was, it was really life-changing. Amazing. Yeah. I can imagine it was a very nice phone call to be able to make to, to Josh and Frank. Yeah. To be able to say, hey guys. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a window for this uh-huh. in your diary, guys? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, what a what a weird conversation to have with somebody, you know, when, like, we were all just here. I was DJing every week. They were doing bar gigs and teaching and stuff. And it was it was a crazy moment. A crazy, crazy moment. And what a last tour to be able to do before quarantine, you know? Before the madness, mm-hmm. yeah. It must have been very disappointing for, for the Fun City Tour not to go ahead. Yes, that, yes, it was incredibly disappointing. Are you going to tour that when, when everything comes back or are you going to start a new album? Or, because I think we're at that sad point in the pandemic where people are, and I, I'm probably one of them, where you kind of say, actually, I'm not going to do that tour. And yeah, I, I, I mean, just... I don't know, honestly. Like, I definitely won't be able to do it in the way that I intended to because it, you know, by, I don't know when we're going to be able to tour again. People are saying September and I'm like, that's, wildly optimistic to me I think so um, yeah. I think it will be next year so I don't know I don't know what touring looks like anymore I don't know how many people you'd be able to get in a room I don't know what venues will be open I don't know how safe people will feel I don't know Oh, you know there's so many variables like I definitely won't be able to do what I wanted to with that album Okay. Um, but it depends whether I have another album out by then or not um okay and so i i really the the disappointing answer is i I really have no idea i don't know i haven't written it off but it's definitely not going to be like just a fun city tour because i mean honestly like the moment is gone right like 20 2020 was gone if it's 2022 you're not touring explicitly one album that came out two years ago so i don't know it's weird because I, I was about to, I was supposed to go on tour from April and um, the show that I'd written I did once mm. and and it was a few months before it, the tour so I just had it filmed just so I'd remember it. It's the only record of that show there's ever going to be. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. It's so strange. It's really weird. It's such a shame when you realise like 
you know, how much planning you've put into something and how much work you've put into the presentation of one, like, show. Um, and then you don't really get to do that again. Like, I know people that were in rehearsals for Broadway shows or people that were, like, workshopping things. And, you know, they're never going to happen now. Um, it's yeah. maybe a bit easier for, like, a theatre show because they're more long-term leaning anyway, whereas our types of tour tend to be, like, a one-and-done kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. In each different presentation or guys. And as much as you could just do it at any point in time, I mean, if it's related to like an album release, then that's very um, time specific. It's so strange because I was talking to somebody yesterday about um, just even about writing because I, like I have so many friends that are writing bits and pieces. And um, I, 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 I had written something purely for my own amusement uh, about just about setting it in the pandemic. And I was talking to a producer yesterday who was saying, I don't think they're actually going to even do anything with that in television. You know, it's they're going to, I think, just skip over this whole period, which I think is such a shame because it's such a massive part of everything that's happened. It feels like anyone involved in the arts at the moment is, stu- is I think, feeling the effects of this pandemic the worst. And I think that any reminder of the pandemic afterwards is not going to be appreciated, which feels so unfair it does but i do not want to fucking watch or listen to anything that is written about the <laughs> pandemic i do not care i've lived through it i'm bored out of my goddamn skull i've never ever been bored in my life and i'm feeling so at my wit's end with like trying to create work and playing shows in my fucking studio room like i'm so over it i can't i do not want to hear a song that someone's written about their pandemic experience like absolutely <laughs> not absolutely not god bless, okay, that's god bless no. anybody that wants to listen to that but get it the fuck away from me away <laughs> <laughs> i don't care okay so you're you are ready you're ready for like the world to reopen it's not going to though is it i mean like you have no, to be so naive that. to think that things are going to go back to normal like how possibly can they like there is no, there yeah. is no normal, you know, like it's, it's not that, it's not like that. Also like no one is taking precautions. No one's listening. No one is acting in the interest of people other than themselves. Like people are being so selfish. They're being so reckless and it, it just no one is helping it go back to normal. People are complaining they want it to go back to normal while simultaneously fucking off to Miami <laughs> and being on a beach with like hundreds of people. It's like, well, how do you think anything is going to reopen if yeah. if you want if you're gonna keep doing that like what what's wrong with your brain i know there, i think there i think the world is very entitled it is very very entitled it's so it's so disappointing to see that like with everything that went down in 2020 you know race divisions lgbtq plus persecution yeah yeah like international relations the fucking socioeconomic problems that we have, all of this is brought to the forefront and literally nobody paid attention and nobody has changed the way that they're operating in the world. I'm just so, so sick from people playing dumb. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that as well because from following you on Instagram, you are, you're very politically minded and very you're very active in social issues yeah. on, on social media. Do you, are, do you, is that something that, because I could see you uh, writing an album about that sort of stuff. 
Well, I mean, Fun City sort of was about that, really. Um, I I don't think that I'm the right person to make a quote-unquote political album um, because I'm not as well-read as I would like to be about, you know, all of the issues that are existing in the world. Like, I'm constantly trying to learn and trying to read and digest and watch and understand, which is, like, really all that anybody's been asked to do. Like, pay attention and care and try and engage. That's all. No one expects you to be, like, the fucking Chancellor of the Exchequer about, you know, any subject. No No one thinks that you can be... A an, like an expert because nobody is an expert about everything but all people have been asked to do is take the time to learn gradually at a pace that you're comfortable with I'm just trying to understand and like I, I don't feel like I'm the spokesperson for any particular type of community but I am trying to engage and I'm trying to use my platform to at the very least highlight one or two things that people can be aware of that are helpful to them, are helpful to the wider community, are causes that should be paid attention to and I just don't understand why anyone isn't trying to do that I mean if you have if yeah. you have a platform why why don't you care about using it to do something other than post your own bullshit selfies like fuck off I think that that is something that I think the queer community are more a lot more engaged with I think queer artists because I think that there's a lot of bigger artists that actually just don't engage with that at all which I always find, I'm always really fascinated by that. And I'm particularly interested in ones that, you know, will have their hand out for the pink pound, but stay very, very quiet when it comes to any sort of issues. Yes. I, you know, this sounds so calculated, but I did pay attention when certain issues arose last year, which pop artists I buy records of were or were not lending their voice to specific yeah. causes. And it was very interesting to see which pink pound chasers said nothing yeah and like yeah it's not a witch hunt it's not saying like fuck you you did nothing but it's like why did you say nothing like why why didn't you care enough to even like retweet something i'm not saying you have to go and put yourself on a cross burning and like scream yeah, yeah. your allegiance to whatever you know into the void but it's like it is really surprising because at least like retweeting like an informational piece or something which is like a helpline people can use or show your support to something. That's really like the most passive, like minimal base level engagement that you can have. And it's very easy to do. Yeah. Somebody on your social media team can retweet something in support of something. And if uh, if that at the very least isn't even done, it's like, what is your platform worth then at that point? In situations like that, it always feels like if the bare min- minimum isn't done, there was a conversation to not yes, do that. Yes, 100%. That's what I 100% there was a conversation to not do that. And it's just so, oh, it's so disappointing. It's really disappointing. I get that not everybody can be a political activist. I don't expect everybody's timelines to change into like solely political activism. Mine isn't solely political activism, but it's there in the messages no, and the songs no. that I write. And it's there in the stories that I post and the posts that I make and the tweets that I share and, you know, a little Facebook group that I run for people to talk about issues that matter. But if it's if it's invisible in your timeline and there is no social awareness even to the things you're posting, then your brand is bullshit. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. It's bullshit. <laughs> well it's said. absolute <laughs> yeah, absolutely. bullshit. And I cannot be bothered with it. Like, you do not get 
my my interest if you don't show interest in the world. I don't care. There are 75 billion people on this planet who can take their top off and show a selfie. Like, fabulous yeah. for you. Congratulations. What are you adding to the world? Like, nothing. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's interesting what you were talking about there. Because uh, I read an article that you did um, around the time Fun City came out. Inclusion it seems to be a theme on Fun yeah. City. And, and also, by the same token, exclusion. Yeah. You know, like things like I, I Used to Be Cool, which is such a great <laughs> song, brilliant video. If you haven't seen the video, it's just so good. It's, it's it. so stupid. <laughs> um, you, you spoke openly about it, and I think it's brilliant because it's a thing that is never said to young queer people about how when you came out, you didn't necessarily find your place mm. uh, inside the gay community. And I think that that is, that is one of the most important things I think you can say to a young queer person because in coming out and I remember this for myself and it's how I ended up in comedy you assume that because you've always felt like an outsider that when you are somewhere where you are on the inside track that you will feel like an insider mm. that just doesn't follow through for everyone and I thought it was I thought it was great that you spoke about that oh good um, I think the the thing to remember is like there isn't like a space for you like there isn't one space that you slot into it's like you kind of make your own space and when you do come out or your first movements to come out or go to a you know a queer space or whatever you're still not open you're still very nervous and you're still very shy and you haven't really worked out who you are yet I think and so that space for you is very fluid and you're able to grow and to become the person that you are but you obviously think when you first come out and you go to a gay bar or whatever, like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be, but you're still so nervous and you don't, people don't really know how to read you because you haven't really like shown yourself yet. So it's, it's a scary world once you do come out still. And um, I think there's still such a disconnect between that community and belonging to it. You know, even if you look at It's a Sin, which is amazing, where are, yeah. where are the women, you know, where are the women other than Jill? Yeah, yeah. And it's because in that period of time, lesbians were considered invisible and the gay male community, which largely represented is white and cis, they were also ignorant of people in the community that weren't themselves. You know, there's, there's bliss in that kind of like finding a community that affords complacency and it affords ignorance. Um, and I think, like, the one thing that I've tried to do with Fun City is to show that, like, we belong to a bigger world, which is people that are not like yourself. If everyone was like you, life would be so boring, right? So you you have yeah. to be aware of yourself in relation to the rest of the world and to the community, which encompasses so many different communities, like Black people, Indian people, people who are biracial, people who are very fluid sexually, but gender is fluid, different socioeconomic backgrounds like all of these people fit under the lgbtq plus umbrella which is just so wide it's basically saying anybody that is not heterosexual which is an incredible yeah cross-section of, of society yeah it's huge so yeah. you know reminding people that they need to be very aware of like representation and inclusion like a lot of people i know a lot of women i know cis or not don't feel represented a lot of people people yeah. of color don't feel represented and you know 
here I am as a cis white man trying to talk about representation. Like I am not re representative as myself, but all I can do is try to use my platform or my voice or my work to bring people in to show that I am very aware that I am not representative of the queer community, but I do want to help representation within the gay community, queer community, LGBTQ plus community. You mention it's interesting you mention um it's a sin there and i always think that years and years because ollie ollie is in it's a sin oh a debt of gratitude to bright light bright light <laughs> i always feel that there's I, I always feel there's a true line there <laughs> oh well that's very kind um i think everybody of my generation owes an enormous amount of debt to scissor sisters actually i remember when they first came out um and stormed the charts you know they really made a space yeah. for lgbtq plus people in mainstream media again because i feel like before that there were a lot of um performative queers that weren't actually gay um and i feel like you know there was so much camp in music that people forgot to actually support actually lgbtq plus people and, and yeah. Scissor Sisters, yeah that's very interesting Scissor Sisters came along and they reminded us like authenticity is really something and enjoying life and celebrating yourselves and your community is really paramount and i can't thank them enough for what they did for the world and do you do you want to say it or will i the fact that jake shears is also on your app <laughs> yeah <laughs> which must have been incredible yeah, he is. jake is amazing jake i went on tour with them as well um in 2012 oh. for my first album and their final album i'm not responsible for breaking them up um <laughs> and became friends with them and I'm still like I was texting Jake this morning we're still really good friends Scott Anna Del um they're amazing people they are such amazing people and I always make a point of working with them you know since the second album Del was on the first one um Del and uh, Anna Anna was on the second wasn't she Del and Anna are on, on, the, the, on the second album yeah they're all on choreography and then Jake is on um Fun City uh Rod it's been incredible to talk to you I cannot wait for the next album because I know it'll come soon. Oh, God. <laughs> Won't it? Oh, I don't know, honestly. It's it's difficult to know what to do next, you know? Um, so I yeah. haven't quite had that eureka moment. I did have a, a work conversation the other day which has sparked an idea or two, which I'm very excited about. So we'll see. Don't, don't hold your breath for a new album just yet. But, I mean, there will be inevitably some, something very very shortly which something is there will there be something that we can send away for we all need post at the moment oh my god well postage costs <laughs> can we pay you give me your money yes absolutely um yeah there'll, there'll be plenty of things coming up and there'll be lots of like you know things that are like charity raising and uh, awareness raising as well throughout the course of this year when we are inevitably still stuck at home but um you know i'm happy to do whatever i can well, you are a light. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was the fab Rod Thomas. We continue our chat in the bonus material where we will chat about the goddesses that are Galen Gillian and also him working with Danny Minogue on the All I Want to Do remix. You can follow Rod on social media and all of his links are in the episode information. You can stream all of the music in this episode on Spotify, but you can also go over to brightlightx2.com and you can buy it. And I have to say, the physical copies are gorgeous. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Farrelly. There will be a new episode soon. Thanks for listening.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.